Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 235 on Tuesday, the 12th of February, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be talking about how small is best when it comes to new car registrations. Also, we sadly say goodbye to the patron saint of Knock Knuckles, Oily Pages and DIY Mechanics. And we see that beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. But first, follow up. And it's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks. Dieselgate is back. How we've missed it. Oh, no, no, we haven't. Uh, this time... Like a hole in the head. Yes, quite. Uh, this time, Paul Willis, who is the UK boss of Volkswagen, has been back to the Transport Committee and admitted that they have received 28,600 complaints of, and I'm quoting here from his statement, apparent issue, that's end of the quotation, with a software fix that they have implemented on their engines. <laughs> <laughs> Can we quickly put it into context, though? I was about to. I was about to, oh, okay. to do that. Now, this fix, uh, as Willis makes clear in to the committee, has been the same one that has happened across 7.5 million vehicles in Europe and over 870,000 vehicles in the UK to, to the time that he was there. <laughs> so... Because the Transport Committee was claiming it has had regular reports from owners claiming that the recall work had uh, impaired their car's performance and running refinement, as Lawrence Allen says in this autocar article that we will have in the show notes that you can click through and check out more. Um, I think I, I want to go back to what we said when this first started to surface. How many knew what their MPG was beforehand? How many kept an eye on it? How many had it all had their cars serviced perfectly and were in perfect running order anyway? And how many times has confirmation bias turned up and gone, Oh yes, it is running worse. Oh it is, yes. Oh no, I'm sure there's more smoke. So uh Well, it's still less than half a percent. Yes. So let's, you know, put it into into perspective. It's eight hundred thousand cars. What is it, eight hundred and seventy thousand vehicles have had this installed in the UK. And 28,000 complaints is uh, still like, well, it's less than half a percent. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's still not, you know, it's, it seems like a lot, but not whenever you put it into, into the context there. Uh, there are still 290,000 vehicles in the UK needing the fix, though. Yes, that is true. Uh, and that's not including those who've said, no, I don't want this work done. Yeah. So there's there's a there, a lot have been done. There's a lot still to do. And yes, there are a lot of complaints, but relatively speaking, it, it's a very low number. So we can't actually tell if it is a problem with the software or not, or whether it is people are paying attention and sort of and realizing their engine is a bit duff anyway because it hasn't been cared for, loved, or is just unlucky, mm-hmm. or whether this is actually a problem that is affecting a small percentage of the cars. So that's... It's a bit tricky. Volkswagen were always going to be at risk with this, especially when things started to come out because people would pay attention. Like I said, the confirmation bias, they're suddenly paying attention to this and notice. Go, wow, that's not, that's not how I think it is. So we'll... Uh, I don't know what, what can be done. I don't, don't know whether it's a case of more people need to come forward if there is a problem or whether it's just going to go away. Yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. But um, that's not the only thing from Volkswagen this week, though, because uh, there is a tweet from 
Greg Cable, who is the man on the ground in Germany for autocar. There are other... many men on the ground in Germany, yes. Yes. It's that uh, Hiltrud Werner, who is a board member for the integrity and legal affairs of Volkswagen, has stated, and I'm going to quote here, uh, we regret the inconvenience caused to customers. For complaints, there is no legal basis. In our opinion, customers have suffered neither losses nor damages. Okay. Uh, that would depend on whether cars have depreciated, whether cars are actually damaged, which that would need to be that software fix is not fixing things. But they have, as we've said all along, nothing that is in that defeat device has broken any of the regulatory rules of what the car was tested on at the time. No. So from that point of view, absolutely correct. Given the amount of money involved, Volkswagen, uh, as as probably I would in the say, had I got myself into the same situation, which I hope I wouldn't, is going to lay by the the letter of of the law, and and that's the case that they, they you know it is it is impossible for anyone to prove that they have suffered uh, they have suffered loss or damage uh, because of this. Mm. Ergo, they you know that they they can't be compensation because. You know, unless you can say, "Well, this is how much I've lost," you can't make the claim. Yeah. There's, there's nothing to compensate. But we've said that we've spent hours talking about that over the last two hundred and thirty-five episodes mm. of this. Uh, so, Sh- should we talk about another Dieselgate-related? Yes, but this is a bit, bit of an interesting new spin on things. I feel. Well, yes, to an extent, Bosch may well face uh, a diesel cheating fine in Germany as a result of this. Uh, German prosecutors are looking at are looking at fining them for their part in the proceedings. Uh, I'm trying to now find out what the what what the number is. There isn't actually one. So there's no numbers given here. It's just they might be looking to do it. Uh, the other part of this of course is the whole Volkswagen Bosch setup and the fact that Volkswagen is considering uh, claiming damages from Bosch. I am well there's there's two levels to that for me. Yeah. On one level I am absolutely gobsmacked at the audacity of Volkswagen to do that. Yeah. Well, it's still a rumor. It's not it's not confirmed. Yeah, this is according to Der Spiegel, which mm-hmm. is not always 100%, but if this no. is correct, I'm gobsmacked that they have decided they're going to go down this route, but as with the suing the uh, their executives, and uh, by the way, I forgot to mention at the time, seven is a classic tactic because they can't all pair up. So one is always no, isolated true. and you work on the one or make them feel isolated. So that's an inc- that's just a standard but clever tactic to try and make them break and get s- some to admit something or other. But anyway, forgetting that. But this is also a classic move, a grand public gesture of we're so outraged at what's happened and we've been let down by the small number of people still maintaining that story. You know, at least they've admitted it's or are stop, have stopped using the line. It was an isolated engineer. Yes. <laughs> Which was silly to come out with at the first place. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that didn't get their defence off to a good start. 
but this is a classic public grand gesture look at us we're we're making these things we don't hold with that sort of thing they, they've broken their terms and conditions of their contract which i bet they have technically they will there will be a, a um clause in there that says you do not break rele, uh, reg, relevant regulatory and legal uh, precedents or something like that in there yeah. that's a, that's just a standard thing that's in every uh, contract however that's ignoring the fact that they were they that I expect you could, or Bosch would argue, that they were bullied into doing this in the first place for fear of losing contracts and everything mm. else. They thought that they were working on behalf of Volkswagen because the executives who said do this will have been would have been using the authority of Volkswagen to make these statements, to make these agreements, to sign these contracts in the first place. So... Yeah. If that one does go to court, I hope Volkswagen lose that badly because that's outrageous. And what they're also doing, sorry, I'm I'm on one here. What they're also yeah, doing, I'll let you well, you said you've been talking for a long time today. I'm giving you like 30 seconds break here. Uh, what it will also do though is make all the other subcontractors who works with the Volkswagen group really really nervous now. Yeah. And they will now start thinking, ah, they say it's a partnership as all these big companies do. They say we're working together, we're all helping each other, but actually... It doesn't look like it. That's a load of nonsense. So I think Volkswagen have to be incredibly careful how they tread with this because they could... Let's be honest, they've, they've annoyed the rest of the OEMs. They don't need to be annoying... They don't need to be annoying everything below them as well. Yeah, the, the tier twos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just remember that that this is still this is still there reviewing whether to according to Der Spiegel, not from either of them. Volkswagen have declined to comment on that report, and Bosch have said, and I like this from Auto Automotive News Europe, uh, relationships with customers are kept confidential. The automaker supplier relationship between Bosch and Volkswagen goes back over decades. We cannot imagine such an action against Bosch. Which to me sounds like, well, good luck with this one. I mean, I mean, if anyone from the board of Volkswagen Group are listening, Alan and I are still available to help you out with consultancy, and we can we can parachute ourselves in as the Motoring Podcast Consultancy Incorporated Limited PLC, and uh, advise you to save you an awful lot of money and time being wasted and help you progress forward in the future steps you want to make. So if you if you want to get in touch, our contact details are on the website. If you'd like to use the form, that would be perfect, and we can help you out. Uh, I've heard that we can... We can, we can <laughs> it's good luck getting past their procurement. Uh, meanwhile, it's worth mentioning that the prosecutors in Stuttgart have opened monetary fine proceedings. This is a bit I was looking for in the story, which I didn't write down earlier, against Bosch. And again, Bosch said the proceedings relate to the investigations against employees of Robert Bosch GmbH in connection with the use of allegedly manipulated software in control units of diesel vehicles. That's it. End of story. So we'll see what happens. This is one to, to keep following. And I think we've we've probably just beaten it to death mm. uh, for the time being right there. So we'll see. Yep. Right. Moving on to our other giant story that will follow us for months and months. It's all right, guys. It dies off after this because the up. Because you know the Geneva Motor Show is coming, 
is is just under a month, about a month away. Yeah, about a month, just under a month away uh, now. So it's about three weeks. So so people are saving up all the big stories for that. Absolutely. So Carlos Ghosn, and this week in uh, Ghosn Gate. I hate that term. I know it's awful. Mm. Is the fact that Renault are investigating payments for his wedding at the Palace of Versailles. Uh, now, what is it was something in the region of fifty five thousand euros, I think, if I've got this correct. Something like I thought was it not forty four? I didn't write it down. Uh, it's fifty. Sorry, it's fifty thousand euros, forty four thousand pounds. There we go. You see, we're both right. And this was for the party after the wedding at Versailles. Now, uh, Gone has already stated that he will, that as far as he knew, that the uh, party area was laid on for free by the Versailles, but it turns out that they then went and charged the Renault account. <laughs> and he was unaware of this, apparently. So he has said, well, crikey, that's wrong. I'll pay for that. Uh, and has yeah. immediately moved to that. Now, there is an automotive news article, which I've included for two reasons, because it's taken from Bloomberg, I think. But I've taken for two reasons. Now, the first one is because this is the uh, confirmation from Gone's solicitor that, that, that he's going to fix all this. You know, that was just a, it was a simple oversight. They, that was not what was mm. expected to happen. But the tone of this article is the first one I've seen in the Western press that suddenly goes, ah, Gone. Perhaps not as clean as we're all led to believe maybe you know it said it has phrases like uh well i'm gonna try and quote some bits out here Gone's quick decision to pay back the show to uh, the chateau contrasts with his stance in japan where he has rejected prosecutor claims of financial wrongdoing related to his time at, at the helm of renault partner nissan that's the first time it's come across where it's sort of gone hmm not sure i believe you but, but even no but the flip side, and I'm not saying one's right and the other's wrong, really, is to say, point out that, well, you know, in this case, he was very quick to say, oh, heck, okay, and to then do it, as opposed to before, when he said, well, no, actually, that wasn't the case. Yeah. It's possible that it's, I mean, it's possible that it's both, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely, because we, we don't know the facts yet, but... Well, yeah, absolutely. The, the, way, that he, the way that... Okay, if, if you believe in Gone's innocence or that you believe that this isn't quite as simple as perhaps it's being made out in Japan, that then an immediate statement to try and rectify the issue would be the correct action, I would have thought. Yes. But it was more, it was more, I was really surprised that the tone had suddenly been, I wasn't expecting it to say, you see, he's completely innocent because he works with honour and he quickly fixes all problems. I wasn't expecting that, but to have this tone be almost the other way for the first time in the press. Mm. You know, we've seen more than our fair share of this stuff now when researching articles and deciding which ones to go in. And they've uniformly been going, he's treated dreadfully. This is a ridiculous yeah, legal system. I, I also think you might be reading a little bit much into that. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong, mm -hmm. but, I, I, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I'm not sure it's quite as much as you're saying. Okay, no problem. Because I didn't read this like that. Hmm. But then I was reading it whilst eating my dinner, so. 
One of the things I like here, by the way, can I mention yes. this last one? Minister said an audit would be coming in the coming days of the finances of RNBV, so Renault Nissan BV, the Dutch company, because it's got very low corporation tax, that manages Renault and Nissan's alliance. Already the companies are reviewing fees paid to consultants by the company, which amounted to $10 million to $20 million a year. I'm laughing at that because, to be honest, that seems about right. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I love that because whenever whenever there's a big governmental or big organisation goes, look at these outrageous consultancy fees, and you go, you wouldn't get anything done without the consultants, yeah. for starters, and you you get them cheaper than what you expect, and that's what you pay. You pay for expertise. It's just it's just uh, that's a that's a press headline looking gesture. It is. It is just a gesture. It's like. You know, it's when the NHS said they're going to get rid of 40 percent of management, <laughs> and then repile them back at greater. Well, yes, there was that, and then and as the nurses and doctors turned around and said, "Well, you want me to sit there and do paperwork all day, or you want me to heal people?" <laughs> it's up to you. Totally. So, Sorry. Anyway, that was personal. Yep. Moving on, though, uh, today Nissan discussed their last quarter's um, financial statement. And they have reduced their operating profit to 450 billion yen. That's down from 540 billion they were expecting. And there has been a slowdown of global sales with a fall 2.1% because Japan and China and other markets decreased, but North America and Europe, except for the UK, uh, fell. But UK fell, didn't they? Nissan for the last. Six months have been taking a nosedive yeah, exactly. on new car. Yeah, yeah. North America, and North America, North America too, and Europe fell. Sorry, yes, and UK fell. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was. We're still part of Europe. I know this. This might be a a nasty How shock dare you? for some people. How dare you? No, we're not. We never have been. <laughs> anyway, going back to the point. But in the statement, in the press conference, they also said that they are taking a nine point two billion yen charge. That they're putting to one side for compensation, uh, aligned with things Carlos Ghosn's supposed to have done. So they're already taking that cash out this time and putting it to one side, prepared for problems because they've already been charged with things as well, haven't they? And you know, whilst Ghosn has been charged, so has Nissan. Yes. Oh well. Let's see what happens. Yep. That's the best I can come up with that one. Yeah. Right. Tell everyone about our fab listeners. Quick follow-up. I got one of those emails from Sam Burnett, formerly of Motor One, now SMMT, which started with an, I was just listening. And it's like, <laughs> uh-oh, what have I done? So just a little bit of clarification about SMMT numbers, really, which is quite useful. So fleets of, so business, where we talk about business numbers – uh, so remember, there's – should really have it on the screen. Uh, there's personal, there's business, and there's fleet. Business is nine or fewer vehicles. Uh, fleet is 10 or more because that's where you start to get access to commercial fleet incentives. Okay. So whilst the numbers always sound impressive, it does only make up about 2% of the market, according to Sam. Also, I made a statement about larger cars, and I can't remember exactly what it was I said, but it was it was about larger cars in fleet and business. And he actually brought up some interesting figures from 2018. So the top three vehicles, top three private vehicles in, registered uh, in 2018 were the Ford Fiesta, the Volkswagen Polo, and the Mini Hatchback. 
The top three business vehicles, so remember fleets of nine or fewer, were the Vauxhall Corsa, the Fiat 500, and get this, the Vauxhall Viva. The Viva. Yeah. You can't picture what a Viva looks like, can you? No, no, I can, because we've got a Vauxhall garage in town, and there's a few of the older generation who have bought them. Well, that's not the one. They look a serviceable, cheap car. Yeah, really? it's an Opel Carl, by the way, is, is the... Yes, equivalent. that's right. Yeah. The, the, I actually got hassled by one on my way through Northampton on the dual carriageway yesterday. And I, I'm quite ashamed of that. Because the thing Were must have... Were you doing the legal th- speed limit? <laughs> Thereabouts. Good. Well, that's all right. Still, then. it was hassling me. So eventually I let well, it no. pass. I mean, if they, if they want to go off and break the law, that's up to There's them. a certain amount of shame in letting a Vauxhall Viva go past me. Yeah, without doing that. The top three fleet vehicles, because I think I made some comment about larger cars and, and uh, larger saloons, they are a little bit bigger. So they are the Volkswagen Golf, Ford Fiesta again, and the Nissan Qashqai. So no matter which way you slice and dice it, certainly for 2018... Small cars ruled all three different types, all three different areas. And I also saw a stat, uh, I think it might have been on Motoring Research, that said that the Qashqai was the best-selling British-built vehicle and new car regs last year. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Once again, we see that our listeners are awesome and give us some really brilliant stuff to chat about. Thank thank you for that, Sam. Yes, cheers. That's uh, really appreciated. Despite the slight fear of starting, of, of when I read emails, starting with, I was just listening. It's like, no, thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, new news, Andrew. Yes, we start off with the sad news that John Haynes, who was the creator uh, and founder of the Haynes Manuals, Haynes Publishing Group, and the Haynes International Motor Museum, has passed away last Friday on the eighth of February after a short illness. Of course. Anyone who knows anything about or does anything with cars will have or will have seen a Haynes manual. They will have put it in their mitts. They will have been turning the pages and trying to work out how to change the light bulb or get the spark plugs out of their car or something along those lines or the interior trim. Or just taking a 2CV to bits. (laughs) But these have been absolutely brilliant and key I think, to how hands-on Britain has been with their cars, Mm -hmm. more so in the past probably than now, but they have been... For every car I've owned, I have had a Haynes manual. It's as simple as that. Really? I've I've only had one for 2CV because generally they don't exist because I buy weird cars. But the... I mean, I I read the the obituary on the the Haynes website, uh, which is well worth a read because he seems like he was... He was a very interesting chap. I mean, he wrote his first manual when he was still at school called Building a 750 Special and sold his first print run of 250 copies in 10 days. Um, He then did the first one was a Frog Eye Sprite, uh, which he did uh, whilst he was helping an RAF colleague in Aden. And they helped do the rebuild and he realized the factory manual was pretty rubbish and so did so bought a camera and then took pictures and then put it all together and basically started how they all work so really interesting chap and even until very recently he was he could basically in the the Haynes Motor Museum cafe most days uh having lunch 
um, and you know people come up and speak to him and chat to folk and stuff. So I, I mean, I know it's the obituary from Haynes, but he just seems like like he was a really nice chap and, and an absolute pleasure yes, to be with. He does. There's there's also an opinion piece from James Atwood uh, on Autocar. Yeah, it was good too. Which is excellent, which explains why John Haynes was a motoring hero. So I'll have uh, both those linked to in the show notes. Sad loss, but what a legacy and what he has done will help help motorists for years to come, for years mm-hmm. and years. Even if it is only to find new and interesting reasons to throw tools at the garden. Yes. <laughs> right. Not repeating what I wrote in the Trello card, but uh, let's move on to Jaguar Land Rover, Alan. Andrew and his naughty language. So JLR uh, uh, last week, 7th February, posted a loss of £3.4 billion uh, in the final quarter of 2018, which is a huge number and a very impressive headline. But... I think it's worth looking at it in a little more detail and a little more discussion because it sounds, I mean, it is a phenomenal number. Are you are you trying to say that once again, that there may be a slight amount of nuance? No, no. They're, they're, they're... To, to, to the story that perhaps we need to just have a look yes. at. Yes, I am, Mr. Kitch. <laughs> That's two in two weeks. You know we're doing this all wrong. <laughs> I know. We're going to be... <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of copywriters and headline writers are actually going to ambush us one of these days and just beat us up. Stop <laughs> taking away our headlines, you podcast. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. They just look at my intro. <laughs> like, what rubbish is this? Right. Anyway, uh, so huge number. It really is. Uh, the first thing that you really need to understand about that is the, that £3.4 billion pounds includes a one-off 3.1 billion exceptional charge uh, resulting, and I'm quoting from Autocar here, resulting from the firm deciding to adjust the carrying value of its capitalized investments. So here's the deal. It's a 3.1 billion loss on paper. Yes. Now, let's get rid of most of that because it's accountants doing funky accountancy stuff. Now, the thing is that can be written right down because... What they're saying is, well, this stuff doesn't have so much value. Because uh... it's to do with stuff they've invested in. It's plant they've installed and invested in. is not worth, it's not technically worth, or they don't feel it's technically worth what they previously thought it was worth. Yes. Similarly, they don't, similarly, that value could go back up again. And that written down book value might not be, will be based on a number of calculations not necessarily what you can sell it for if you're going to sell it. The other part of this is that that plant normally gets written off over a period of time. What they're saying is we're going to have to write this off over a shorter period uh, because ultimately at the end of it, it's not really worth much to anyone else. Well, isn't it, isn't it a case of with, with accountancy side of things, particularly if you've invested in buildings or equipment, that a percentage there's an agreed figure at the start and a percentage is taken off each year yeah it's it's to a... to come out with that you know so in in 6 years we take this amount off over each year so it's worth nothing at the end or it's worth On paper, 20% it is worth or nothing. or something yeah and they and they put they plug that into a spreadsheet and that's how it works 
That's effectively what you're saying, yeah. That is what I'm saying, yes. You see, this is some yeah. of a tax accountant coming through now. Uh, so, yes, that's exactly what it is. And what they're saying is, actually, this is going to be quicker than we expected. Uh, we're going to write it down because it's always worth nothing. So whether or not that's real or not is a different matter, and I'm sure they'll have to go through that with their auditors. However, that still leaves £300 million, which is still an awful lot of money. By I'd anyone's. quite like to be in a position to lose yes. £300 million. <laughs> Well, I would, well, yes. Once you're at three hundred million pounds as a person, it stops being your problem and starts becoming the bank's problem, really. <laughs> uh, so, so three hundred million is pretty bad. Uh, there's, of course, a drop in sales in the U. Uh, you can, well, no, there's a slight up sale, slight rise in sales in Europe and the US overall. However, the Chinese market is not dealing well. There's a point. That is in, dive, really, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember if it's in the auto. Yeah, it's auto news Europe, not the autocar one. Commenting that the that China is becoming a real problem. The Chinese uh, dealer network has some pretty serious issues. They're all very new. They're not really in major urban areas like Shanghai and Beijing. Only eighteen percent are in those uh, what they're referring to as tier one cities, um, and more than a third of them have been around for three years or less so they might not actually have an awful lot of experience in selling vehicles i am sure i saw a quote uh, in the last week pop up on twitter about their dealer network and it was something it was something along the lines of our dealer we're having to uh, investigate our de- our useless dealer network Ooh, it was, it was if effectively what they were saying uh, yeah. I, I can't remember if it was exactly useless, but it was it was really damning about this was not right, and there was major issues, and they are they are going to have to pile in. One major problem facing JLR in China is an ineffective dealer network, according to a presentation from the UK Business. Hmm. Uh, so I'm sure it's related to that. The China drop, China dropping by a third, has been big news. Uh, generally okay in Europe. Just it, it, it's a bit difficult plus there's a, quite a lot of diesel in the mix they need to accelerate some of that new that new um the new tech well they're investing a, an awful lot in electric they already are aren't they electrified so but that that needs to just move quicker i mean it's like with all, all the pretty much all the major manufacturers most of the major manufacturers they're behind the curve on the electrification uh, yeah kind of yeah whilst they're ahead because they've got an eye pace out the, uh, for the rest of the rest of their you start to sound like a tesla fanboy by the way no just no no there. but the, just... no it's just they don't have hybrid options it's, that's you know, true with electrification as opposed yeah yes electrification and they're they're, they're they're they don't have many um alternative fuel options available no but again they no. do have hybrid options they've got range rover they've got uh range rover sport hybrids as well i posted a picture of one the other week uh but they're not exactly at the for- they really need the equivalent in the in the evoke in the the uh, disco sport which is just up for a, a big refresh uh, over the summer yeah, they need it they need it in the xe and the xf they need hybrid versions totally. of those don't they they need something yeah, uh, yeah. but the, the drop the new diesel engines uh, with the much lower benefit kinds and tax should help the euro 6d uh, that's just coming out in the xe and xf as well yeah just proven yep. that i do read stuff there <laughs> thank you yeah, so I mean, what it is is it's just it's reiterating how difficult it is for JLR at the minute. I would also suggest the moves. You know, this didn't happen 
two days before they released these announcements. They knew this for some time, which is why they've taken the steps to make the difficult and hard choices they have done when it comes to staffing levels and things are going to be cut and stuff like that already. There was one other part of the story. You're right, they knew this. This has been coming along. The other point is people make a big deal about the billion dollar borrowing as well. Yes, that they're going to need to do. They get well. Yes, they're going to re- need to renew. I think is 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 a better way of wording that. They have these are a whole lot of things that were coming up for renewal anyway, no matter what happened. So this isn't a magic. Oh my god, we need another million uh, billion dollars. Uh, this is something that was that was coming through. The trouble is with this big write down, uh, then. Uh, and with some of the uncertainty around the place, then they're going to have to borrow it in a different way from the sort of normal, the the, the normal route, uh, and yep. how they would have chosen to do it. But that may all change because they've got they've got fourteen months to do that, haven't they? So that yes. may all change again, and they may be able to do their preferred route, or Absolutely. what seems to be their preferred route previously. So yeah. you know. It, as with all of this, it's it's fluid. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to run through some of this. I wanted the big takeaways to be three point four billion is an awful lot, but three point one of that is on paper. Mm-hmm. Three hundred million is still not great, but it's not the end of the earth, and we can see that things are already taking place to try and sort that. So it's not a a, a huge terrible surprise. That's no. really where I was going with that story. Yep, no, you're quite right. Just dial back the hysteria. Hmm. So anyway, uh, the Chinese are going to take over the um, the, the, the jewel of uh, German automotive crown. They are indeed, and as a consequence, the German government are taking steps to buy shares in every company that is German so the filthy foreigners don't come and buy up their own wonderful industries. Dialing that back a little bit from the hysteria, though, what <laughs> is, is Geely last year bought a stake of 9.69 in Daimler. And from that, there were a lot of statements of we're going to work in alliances. We don't quite have the details on those alliances, but, and Geely was heavy to stress this, uh, we're not about to take over Daimler. This made the German press and industry and government very nervous because <laughs> they suddenly realised what having shares means yes. it means it goes two ways people can buy you as well as you can buy people and <laughs> oh hang on a minute that's not how it works type thing <laughs> suddenly realization dawned and uh seriously though the german government has stated that they will are now looking up uh, looking into steps they can take to protect german rivals from foreign German industry, sorry, from foreign rivals. Now, I don't know whether foreign rivals are uh, in the same industry or whether this is more of a national issue. <laughs> I would imagine they're making this more of a national issue. And I think it would depend on the nation as well, heavily. Yes, yes. <laughs> but they- although, although I noticed Rheinmetall, which is part of the German government owned, have just taken over the armed vehicle side of BAE systems, which is no, not the kind of stuff we normally cover in Merchant Podcasts. Not normally. They're in talks to work together more so, Daimler and Geely. But again, there's no real details. It's just lots of 
Lots of vagueness, so we don't yes, know. We'll work together on something, but we're not really sure what it's going to be yet. But there's newspaper people here, so let's just say we're going to work together very nicely. Yes. Hilariously, by the way, this has meant that I'm getting my cookie warning, my privacy warning for motoring research in German. <laughs> which is a whole new one there. I have no idea what that's about. Anyway. So how about some good news? Some good news. Well, some good news is that the uh, the UK government is going to invest, and this is the story I was clicking to there, is going to invest about £40 million pounds in uh, basically alternative fuel vehicles and vehicle infrastructure in the UK. And But specifically hydrogen, though, isn't it? Yes. The headline, really, is that it's uh, a lot of it's going towards hydrogen. So it's good news for Toyota and Hyundai because the government is going to help fund the purchase of a number of uh, Mirai and uh, Nexo models to appear around the place. Uh, it's also good news for River Simple, uh, the Welsh firm responsible for the RASA fuel cell system lease idea, which has received about £1.2 million uh, to go towards 17 new vehicles. Uh, but best of all, really, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, is uh, is the opening of five new hydrogen filling stations. Two of them are going to be in Teesside, which is interesting uh, in the Tees Valley, because... That seems a strange place to have hydrogen filling stations, but there is a lot of industry up there which generates hydrogen, uh, yep. which is why they're there. I'm really hoping that at least one of these is going to be vaguely near me. Well, another one's Crawley, yeah, because because uh, the consortium between Hi- uh, Hyundai and Toyota is the 51 fuel cell cars and a new hydrogen fueling station in Crawley. That was their that was their bid. Yes, do you know why that is? Don't you? Because the hydrogen filling station at the services at the bottom of the M40, which is nice and close to Hyundai's HQ, and Crawley is nice and close to to Toyota. Okay. That's why that is. I feel there's a road trip coming on here, Alan. Well, that's why I'm hoping there's more in between, because I know the autocar did uh, Land's End to John O'Groats via Orkney uh, by hydrogen. I don't feel it was a realistic running of it um i would still be interested in trying it uh in a well i would i would hope there's something southwesty and something northwesty and i just want something near me because we're the big gap in the middle where lots of people live yeah because you can kind of do it the rest of the way i'm I'm keeping a, a close eye on hydrogen hydrogen stations yeah because i think it's an interesting technology and i think it Unlike many, I believe it has its place in a in a. And I think that there's a spectrum. Spectrum is the word I was looking for. There is a spectrum of of AV of alternative fuel vehicles, and I believe that depending on what you're doing and what your major use of a vehicle is, um, and where you live, then there's different points in that spectrum which which suit you best right at the minute. And I feel it constantly shifts. It constantly evolves as new vehicles come out. So, but I still feel the space for hydrogen there, particularly not so much for passenger cars, but for uh, heavier vehicles. I think fuel cell works much better 
possibly in a commercial setup, but I think that we have to get the fundamentals in place using private cars first. And this kind of system before we can roll out to the commercial world. Yep. No, I agree. Anyway, I'll stop pontificating. I've got one more story, haven't I? No, no, no. No, I have. Okay, that's fine. You have another story. Yes. <laughs> News that uh, WeTricity, or WeTricity, I'm presuming it's WeTricity, is going to buy Qualcomm's Halo wireless electric car charging tech. Now, uh, I'm equally surprised and not surprised. Uh, Qualcomm last year lost the Apple chip business. So mm-hmm. that was a massive dent to their bank balance and future business. So they are probably trying to shift parts of their their business they don't feel is core and key and sustainable and other words that look good when the CEO presents to investors. Yeah. <laughs> so this what what this tech is is it's a pad that you drive over the top of and it will charge you know similar to wireless charging for your phone but doing mm-hmm. that with a car so you you basically have it in your garage you park it or your driveway you park over the top of it come back the next day and you're charged and whilst you find out to be right on top of it then as long as the two the two sort of uh, copper coils were within about uh, 20 centimeters of each other then it would still work with vehicles. Very clever. It was uh, it was originally developed. Halo was originally developed in New Zealand of all places, uh, and uh, purchased by Qualcomm, uh, and then developed quite a lot there. You'll notice you'll have noticed in the early seasons of Formula E, it was a pretty heavy sponsor. Mm-hmm. You said it was developed in New Zealand, but yeah, that place doesn't exist if you go into IKEA. New Zealand. No, did you have you not seen that? They had no. a map of the world and it didn't have New Zealand on it. They've oh, been right. flogging this this atlas of the world and it doesn't have New Zealand on it. They've had to apologise to the nation. <laughs> New Zealand. That's quite bad. <laughs> oh dear. I think that's approximately more than halfway through. It is approximately more than halfway. Anyway, I'm interested to see what happens uh, with that, with Retricity, because they all of a sudden, and Qualcomm's now a minor shareholder in them, uh, but they all of a sudden have a, they are now immediately a, a quite a large player when it comes to that wireless charging. I know there was lots of discussion when it was still belonged to Qualcomm with various manufacturers. So I'm curious to see where that's going to go. And I really hope it maintains its momentum. Yeah. That that looks a brilliant bit of tech. Oh, it is. Very clever. I've seen it demoed a number of times. As you were hinting so strongly, trying to get me to stop waffling about that story, it is Giltman at that point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider uh, whether or not the motoring podcast is worth a couple of pounds of your hard-earned cash each month. If you think it is, then please do go to motoringpodcast.com. Do please click on the orange Become a Patron button right there on the right-hand side of the front page. Uh, if you're already a patron, thank you so very much, and thank you, people who have been who have been revising the the amounts that they donate and revising them up the way. It is really appreciated. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, we appreciate that not everyone has the ability to do this. So please don't forget to like, rate, leave feedback via podcast player of your choice. Don't forget we also have stickers. Still, I still have a small collection of stickers, uh, not as many as I did have, um, but they're there and they're available to buy as well if you go to motoringpodcast.com and click on the 
does it say merch or does it say shop? I think it says shop at the top. Uh, it's motoringpodcast.com slash sweet merch, though, is the URL because I'm very, very juvenile. <laughs> if you've done all that, then thank you so very much. Uh, why not spread the word by word of mouth? Uh, it is a fantastic uh, advertising medium for us. And tell a friend who you think would enjoy this kind of waffle. For some reason, you don't actually subscribe to the show. Uh, how's about doing so? Uh, if you use a podcast player or podcatcher, as they're also known, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, there are many others. Overcast, Pocketcast. Overcast, Pocketcast, yeah. Then what will happen? Oh, yes, we'll come to you automatically each week, each time we put out a podcast, uh, and it should come directly to your device. If you've got any problems, not sure how to do that, do please get in touch. We'll give you all the details at the end of the show. But either we or one of our listeners are very good at stepping in and helping people get sorted with the best way to listen to us. Another example of how ace our listeners are. They are wonderful listeners. Right, should you go on to Formula E? Yes, speaking of following on from Qualcomm before the the not quite commercial break. Formula E, Mexico City next weekend. Yes. So be all ready for that. Who is it? Uh, Audi or A-B-B-T-T-T-T? Abt, Audi Sport Abt. <laughs> Get more points? I think they're in a good shout for it, aren't they? Well, as long as they don't do anything silly, because that's what Abd are very good at, is mucking stuff up, you know, turning up in the wrong well, underpants. I mean, I know we're only in the third race this season, but we haven't had a ridiculous underpants, the wrong underpants, or the incorrect paperwork, or something had, like that yet. I mean, come on, we've got we've a... We've had, a, to we've had really too dark. much power on the inlap. Yeah, we have, yeah, we've had the not braking properly, Yeah, yeah. which got a very furious driver reaction to, which was... Quite funny to read, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> he was not happy about that. I, I would all. bet. I, w- I would imagine he probably got a bit of a telling off for that. I would imagine he probably They can't go onto social media and just shout angrily, can they? They're not. That's part of the rules, isn't it, for FIA? Uh, I believe so, yes. I believe that. But that's that's FIA. It's special. Yeah. Hmm. But there's a, couple, there's a couple of, well, there's a couple of other news stories, aren't there? Yes, there are. Uh, so there is a rumour that there could be a night or a, an evening race coming up relatively soon. It's thought that maybe the first the first round of season six, which will be in Saudi Arabia again uh, come December, might well take on that dusk format. And that would be kind of cool because one of the things that you can't see in some of these brightly lit races is actually the the halo, different halo, Uh the, and the lights around that, which change colour depending on whether people have people are using their fan boost or their thingy boost, or whether they're what you're basically saying line. is they're all gonna they're gonna neon themselves up as though they're doing Tokyo well, Nift Night Drifter or something. Tokyo <laughs> Nift, yes, it, it is going to go Tokyo Drift. It is going to look even more like a computer game, and I'm really sorry, but I think that's cool. So I, I actually feel that it would be fantastic to be a night or an evening race like that and the dusk race it would also help with the temperatures as well it would big time especially in saudi because that was a big challenge for them well no they had to swim in saudi <laughs> i was gonna say I, I said i said that actually that's not nearly as big a challenge as the rain was <laughs> nobody was really expecting that so that's part that's the first story the second one is that um is that uh, Formula E is going to be piloting 
the a new uh, um, program, new educational program, uh, which is being championed by Venturi team principal Susie Wolf and the FIA M- M- Women in Motorsport Commission. It's called Dare to Be Different. And it's a new educational program for girls aged between 8 and 18 years old to try and aware, try and raise awareness of motorsport in general and what a and what a what a good place it is to work, whether it's on track, in the pits, or in the background. It's all about engineering, folks. If it wasn't for engineering, nothing would work. So it's showing showing the opportunities there are out there and letting them letting them see that it's you know what what there is possible what is possible. And giving yes. them, giving them uh, an example, showing them examples of role models and ideas, and hopefully firing up their inspiration to continue through and try and take advantage. Engineering is fantastic; it lets you make a difference in the difference to the world, even in a very small way. Uh, it lets you make a, a bit of a difference to lots of people every single day, and I'm very proud that I've managed to do that in the past. Another jobs. Mm-hmm. One more bit of EV news. Gosh, there is quite a lot of it this week. Thankfully, there's no WRC this week. Uh, no. Rally Sweden coming up very soon though. Formula E team Tijita, they did once race a cheetah. Drink. Uh, have, yes, have signed a deal <laughs> with TWR, Tom Walkinshaw Racing, for their, for their I-Pace racing team subsidiary part. So what they're going to be running in Mexico is... And I noticed at no point is what the actual livery was originally marked with is mentioned in here. They're going to be running the silk cut livery. Yes. So the purple, the gold, the kind of silvery gray on an eye pace. And certainly this rendering looks great. Mm, yes. So so just remember that's the smokeless, the smokeless uh, emission, tailpipe emission-free racing will be running the livery from a smoking company cigarette brand. Well, they do that on e-racing as well. Now, because you're not allowed to advertise such things, no. but everybody obviously remembers the iconic um liveries. So they they put them they get them painted up on the cars hmm. and for the different teams and then they use a sort of pun name so the, well, it's like the pun, pun sponsorship and it's it's utterly brilliant because everyone goes, "Oh yeah, that was the whatever the you know the the silk cut or whatever and they've called it something slightly so you know that that's what they mean but Soft they're not actually saying that yeah and it, and it's brilliant because they're having, people are having a bit of fun with it as well but that used to happen anyway because if you remember uh williams for example when they ran in 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 some countries they ran in rothman's livery and in other countries they ran in racing livery depending on what the local rules were to do with uh, tobacco sponsorship I also noticed, by the way, that speaking of Williams and tobacco sponsorship, I see that they're also teaming up with British American Tobacco. McLaren. Is it McLaren teaming up with? Yeah. Ah, pardon me. Well, it's McLaren teaming up with Carbon fiber cigarette holders or something. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. (laughs) I'm sure it won't be cigarettes. I'm sure it will be a non-tobacco based product. Uh, in there. But anyway, I just thought the irony of the cigarette livery, but it looks great because it I does. absolutely adore that TWR Jaguar XJR. I've seen it in the flesh, which is so cool because it was a car I'd, I'd admired from a distance for many, many years. Yeah, I know I know we've got the details of the Jaguar I-Pace e-trophy championship hmm. because they are 
debuting as uh, the support race this weekend in Mexico. Yes. And on this article, it explains uh, the point breakdown, uh, the race day formats and all that sort of thing as well. But I'm 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 still not sure whether it's actually going to be on the TV at all, whether we're going to get to see it. I hope we do. I'd be surprised if we don't. I really hope we do because particularly the the streaming coverage where you know they happily want something to fill some of the time mm. I would imagine uh, so this this should hopefully be we we all get to see it because we've seen the racing eye paces at mm-hmm. autosport uh, last year and they look brilliant yeah it does look the part as as a race car it looks it's really quite imposing because they're SUVs but they look awesome. Pretty drop look- down as low as they can get them. Yeah, it looks it looks right too. So check the show notes to find out more details on uh, both those things. I knew there was something else I was going to say. That wasn't what I meant to say at the end. What I meant to say was I'm sure it'll be on YouTube if nowhere else. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking about the streaming. Uh, right, moving on. Talking of television, last week I was a complete idiot and I got so excited because I thought the Top Gear was starting on the Sunday following, and it wasn't. It is the Sunday following this recording. Ah, sorry, everybody. Sorry. So as a consequence, I do uh, apologize. And also I have a link to uh, a preview for Series 26 will be in the show notes if you click the link through to that. But amazingly, just after we talked about it, we find out that Lazy Boy Garage is actually going to be on Wednesday the 12th, which will probably be the day you're listening to this if you pick it up straight away and you've subscribed because it will be sat in your podcatcher of choice and you listen to it straight away. Uh, And it's on at 8 o'clock in the evening on Dave TV. So go watch that or set your recording machines to stun because it's got Tom Ford, it's got Johnny Smith, uh, and it's also, and this is the poor, the man I keep forgetting his name, and I am such a bad oh, person. I, and it's terrible because it's got me as well, but in the background. Yes. By the way, new drinking game, everyone. Every time you see Alan on the show, drink. So make sure you're watching at night because you don't want to do this over breakfast. One week. Okay. So for one of them, I was standing at the front because they kept making us move around because telly. So, okay. so, so Bangonomics and I. Mr. Ruppert could not hide at the back all the way through, so uh, they they made us they made us shuffle around a little bit. Um, so yeah, so, so you spot how much of Twitter is there, by the way. Lots of nice people. Well, that's part of the shtick for the show is that the fact that they use social media and their network a lot. That's what there mm-hmm. is declared in the article uh, that I have linked. But there's really cool cars. I think it's going to be brilliant. And I'm still regretting the fact I didn't buy one of them. Lots. Been okay. kicking myself ever since, but given I didn't register to actually bid, because I knew what would happen if I did. <laughs> Not the best idea. Yeah. So awesome. Let's let's go watch that. I'm really looking forward to Top Gear as well. Uh, it should be pretty good. Mm-hmm. List of the week this week's be relatively rapid. Is from Top Gear, and it's it's not so much a list as a discussion and argument piece. Uh, about the prettiest cars on sale. And it's cars which are defined as pretty, but not everyone agrees. BMW i8 being an example of that. Well, I think which you I can think take a step great. back in the... Yes, uh, 
that's 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 what I've discovered when I've looked through her. I thought that's a great car, and I may go. That's even a good looking car, but I would not say it's pretty or lovely. Um, I, I I have trouble describing the Suzuki Jimny as pretty. Well, the F pace. Uh, the F pace is, is uh, for an SUV. It's incredibly pretty. It's good looking, but I don't think you could say it's pretty. Mm-hmm. Well, but uh, but there you go. So. Yeah, no, 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 no. I don't necessarily agree because I don't think that Lexus LC 500 is pretty either. It's, it's a stunning car. Yeah. So, but that I think that is part of the deliberate ploy of this article. It is. It is, and that's why it's a good article, and that's why we've included it because I can see both sides of it. Yes. Um, and I really like it. So, uh, yeah, well done, Andy Franklin, design chief, uh, uh, Top Gear Mag. Mm-hmm. Go do follow the link, please. Link in the show notes, as ever, as there are to all of the stories that we've talked about on the way through. Right. Wrapping this up quite quickly, though, uh, Motion Research has an article that you have the chance to buy David Beckham's Range Rover. Here's the good news. At one-sixth of the original price. Do you want to know what the original price was, Alan? Not really. Oh, yes. Of a 2007 Sport 4.2 supercharged Khan styling Range Rover. It was so ridiculous, like £200,000, wasn't it? It was. And that includes the modifications. And the estimates are that it probably won't top thirty-five grand. <laughs> Which, to be honest, is still quite a lot for a Range Rover, for a 2007 Range Rover Sport. Yes. I bet I bet they're in really attainable, you know, just the normal ones in very attainable range if you want are, that sort of thing. But you're probably buying a 10-year-old Land Rover product. I know. I mean it it's not for me, but I'd I'd like to point out that from this from this um from this Koi's from this Koi's auction, I would much rather have Scylla Blacks, unsurprisingly black. Uh, wooden picket mini yes that to me is is far more desirable actually than than david beckham's uh and more david expensive <laughs> actually more expensive yeah it's written to be about 40 grand it has wooden picket wheel arches margrave leather and walnut dash it's black it's quite understated it's got it runs on little tiny mini lights i think it's really nice but then i'm a huge fan of Isagonis minis yep I am too. Having owned one, I would love another one. Mm, yes. So lots of fun stuff coming up in that sale, uh, including yep. a Lotus Elan M100 Series 2, which is could fetch 20 grand, which is, what's that? That's about, it's about three times more than they would normally go for. Certainly twice. Wasn't it not Prince Charles's though? It was donated to the Prince's Trust. Uh, and but it was it's actually also the 50,000th Lotus car ever which was uh, donated by a former Lotus driver Britt Eklund to the Prince's Trust so it will probably have done about four miles or something Uh, and will be absolutely immaculate and will be absolutely lovely what you need for that the Haynes manual get out you probably do actually (laughs) right that's it uh, that is pretty much it. We have talked for a lot today. We have. I'm amazed. Uh, apologies for how long this has been. I, I wasn't expecting that. What else is coming up? I was going to talk about caffeine machine. No time for that because there's far too much. 
news and interesting stuff on there. Don't forget to check out videos on YouTube. Don't forget to check out our special editions like our RAV4 one, our Mazda one. Uh, what else have we had in between? Many special editions uh, there. I'll keep on tweeting. Well, there's a new one out this Friday as well. And there will be a new one on Friday. Thank you. And yes, that should keep you going. Uh, I'll probably be lots of, pic- lots of Instagram stuff from Cafe the Machine last weekend. There'll be lots of Toyota stuff from the Parallel Palmarai Trophy probably on Saturday and following on from that, depending on how busy I am actually driving my car. <laughs> my main reason Which for one? going is to Which enjoy one? myself. Are you going to drive your own car or your half car? I am driving the GRMN. The owner of the other half of the half car is driving that as well. So okay, cool. I will be there. And a bunch of listeners and people that I know will be there as well. Yep. It should be great. There was also a rear view, first one in donkey's years, everybody. Apologies for delays. I had a brilliant chat with Paul O'Neill, so go and flick over and play that if you haven't already, because he is a superbly lovely chap. He really is. He is a lovely chap. I haven't listened to it yet. Brilliant stuff. And there'll be another and you've got another rear view recorded as well, which will be out. Yes, at some point recorded soon. that last night. Yes. So a uh, week Friday that'll be out. Excellent. Well, between now and the next time, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about Patreon, uh, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to repeatedly ask you on Saturday, have you crashed yet? Have you crashed yet? Have you crashed yet? What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you could do it on Twitter, but given I'm at a racing circuit where traditionally reception isn't good. <laughs> it's going to be surprisingly bad all of a sudden. It will be if you keep asking me that kind of thing. <laughs> then I'll see when it is before I, I, I answer. Um, but yes, yes. Do do let me know. As I say, we'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.